Hey Cinecasters, it's been a while, but we're back with a Wes Anderson episode that actually has the UK Criterion release, so that means it's competition time. This week we're giving away a copy of Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom on Blu-ray, courtesy of UK Criterion and Sony Pictures at Home. The disc features a restored 2K digital transfer supervised by Wes Anderson, audio commentary featuring Wes Anderson, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Edward Norton, and Roman Coppola, the Cousin Ben short film, Edward Norton on-set footage shot from his iPhone, tons of special inserts, and so much more. If you'd like to enter to win this copy, pop us an email at podcast.princecharlescinema.com and tell us what kind of bird are you. We'll also be running this competition on at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram in the coming days, so increase your chances by keeping an eye out for when those posts drop and enter there, too. This week's competition closes at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, the 7th of September, 2021. It's available only to UK listeners. We are very sorry to our international fans. Be sure to follow UK Criterion at UK Criterion on Twitter and Instagram to keep up with the latest releases. Good luck. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Oh, <laughs> oh. singing, my lord. He's singing that deep voice. Oh. There someone cold beer. Someone's a little too trip. old to be a camp. Because <laughs> he got a, a really deep voice. Dude, Jason Schwartzman is like way too old to be at that camp, though, right? <laughs> he doesn't seem like he's like, you know, like a supervisor or anything. Yeah, he's like old enough. I mean, he has the mustache. Yeah. But he's old enough he can like officiate weddings, but he's not yeah. like Ed Norton. Yeah, he's not he's like a teacher. He doesn't seem like he's in power or anything. He just seems like the dumb kid who like, you know, think the, got the left behind situation. a little bit. I think it's a Rushmore situation. He <laughs> yeah. just won't leave. He just won't leave. It's the only thing he's good at. <laughs> Camping. Oh, welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema and the Breadcrumbs Collective. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I am here today with my little campfire boy, <laughs> my little fire tender, Scout. my little fire, fire tender boy. boy. I don't know. My little boy scout. Phil. Boy Scouts in the hood. Boy Scouts in the hood. What's good? What's good, Phil? What's good? I'm good. Things the you know, good. Do you have a good little the week off? Yeah, I had a little break. A little break. Nice. Was welcoming. Got to, you know, went to Brighton, went to the beach, mm-hmm. played some games. You know, Sick. try, it went too quick. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. it was only a few days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good. And you had a little birthday, the little birthday boy. We don't yeah. get to do that very often. Birthday boy. Yeah, it was my birthday this past time off weekend. Too. So that was fun. I have. I'm currently off, but it's also going really fast. I can't believe it's already Wednesday. 
Um, yeah. The day that we're recording Fucking this. Wednesday? And by the time this episode goes back, it uh, goes out, I'll be back at work for a couple of days and I'll hate myself again. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's all good, though. But yeah, I had a fun okay. little time in Hastings. Um, it's a really nice little beach trip, similar to you. Good, you know, it's just the smaller version of Brighton. Um, played a little bit of mini golf which was fun and uh yeah i want to yeah i want to say thanks to um the listeners out there who did wish me a happy birthday uh that was very nice of you and for those who didn't well fuck you (laughs) (laughs) uh speaking of people reaching out phil a little bit of user feedback Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, so Phil, our, our pal Charlie, he reached out on Instagram the other day. He said, please don't block him. <laughs> he said he was sorry for the confusion that he meant. There will be blood like after the 5th of September. Oh, okay. Oh, that yeah. That started I the confusion. Remember. Which I, I think we were well more confused by his use of FMF and IOD, but <laughs> that was that was a big. I think we started time. IOD. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He didn't use IOD. That was awesome. FMF. Uh, but yeah, and then he said, "Please don't, please don't block him." And he wasn't at all concerned by the fact that we trashed FMF, basically. Oh, good. Yeah. So, I sorry, hope, Charlie. I wonder- yeah, I don't know his opinion of uh, MK today. MK, so. yeah. Yeah. MK Ultra, more like it. MK Ultra, Reading these kids to be fucking su- super killers. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I imagine that's what's going to happen to little Sam should he not be, you know, given a proper family that they social <laughs> services got it in control of them that they would just turn him into some MK Ultra like you know shield for the government and then you know yeah 15 years down the road he'd be basically you know the winter soldier you know just going and killing fucking people for the government this is like low-key and origin story yeah fucking the winter soldier. <laughs> how things uh, change we also you know got a nice little message from our pal louisa over at patreon.com forward slash the pcc podcast So these podcasts each and every week are always brought to you by our Patreon backers because we don't have any other means of income for this (laughs) podcast. So basically, if you'd like to support the podcast, keep us happy and running um, and also get bonus episodes while you're at it. Go over to patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. Five dollars or more a month gets you bonus episodes. Plus, no matter where you back, no matter what level, we will give you early episodes. Each and every week, the episode that you're listening to now will drop at least two days early. But our pal Louisa reached out and she said, I want to drop you a note to say how much I'm enjoying the podcast at the moment. It's really fun revisiting all the Anderson films with you guys. I've been meaning to rewatch both directors for a while and your commentary has given me some extra motivation. I also wanted to add that I've been to the PCC a couple of times since reopening and the team are doing a great job making it feel safe without overdoing the rules. I really enjoy the little safety video, uh, safety film you're playing. Uh, also, I'd love to hear more episodes like sp- the Space Jam one. That was really fun. Thanks a lot, Louisa. So we there you did go. one. We just did one. And if you're over on Patreon.com forward slash PCC podcast, five dollars or more a month will get you episodes like that Space Jam, like 
what was it? Godzilla versus Kong. And just being released probably the same week as this going out. The Suicide Squad 2021. Ooh. Reboot Moon. Reboot Moon. Reboot Moon. (laughs) Those are all reboots, right? Yeah. God, what is is that all that's coming out? Is just reboots? Remakes? Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right? (laughs) Everything to fucking sequel, remake, or reboot. Bullshit. Yeah. And then there is an original movie and they immediately, like, jump on it make it a franchise <laughs> bollocks it's fucking bollocks yeah well let's talk about some shit that uh i mean it would be kind of weird if they try to franchise it but <laughs> it's week 13 of our own going arc pitting the films of wes anderson and paul thomas anderson against each other and we are brushing up on our survival skills because we're almost done. We're going to be let out into the wild soon once we're done with this fucking arc that we're on and it's going to be new stuff and how are we going to you know, be able to handle ourselves? It's time for Anderson versus Anderson. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Last week, Phil and I. <laughs> last week, Phil and I got lit and tried to solve the missing plot. <laughs> I got lit with Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice, and now this week, Phil and I are going to be transformed into prepubescent Boy Scouts, and we're going back to camp with a litany of mommy and daddy issues. In and back. Wes Anderson's seventh feature. MK Ultra. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. <clears throat> what kind of bird are you? I'm a sparrow. She's a dog. No, I said. What kind of bird are you? Dear Suji, here's my plan. Dear Sam, my answer is yes. Dear Suji, one. Dear Sam, where? Dear Suji, walk 400 yards due north from your house to the dirt path which has not got any name on it. Turn right and follow to the end. I will meet you in the meadow. Who's missing? Shukuski, you in there? Jiminy Cricket, he flew the coop. Does it concern you that your daughter has just run away from home? That's a loaded question. Until help arrives, I'm deputizing the little guy, the skinny one, and the boy with the patch on his eye to come with me in the station wagon. What am I looking at? He does watercolors, mostly landscapes, but a few nudes. If we find him, I'm not going to be the one who forgot to bring a weapon. Me neither. Where's the boy? I'm told that he's just been struck by lightning. It's true. 
I'll be out back. I'm going to find a tree to chop down. Set on an island off the coast of New England in the summer of 1965, 12-year-old orphan Sam Shikusky, who's played by Jared Gilman, who's very fun follow on Twitter. Go follow Jared. He's a really nice young boy. Uh, falls in love with troubled 12-year-old Susie Bishop, played by Kara Hayward. And together, they make a secret plan to run away together into the wilderness. As various authorities try to hunt them down, a violent storm is brewing offshore, and the peaceful island community is turned upside down in more ways than anyone can handle. It's the 2012 coming-of-age comedy drama from director Wes Anderson and written by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola. Phil. Here we go. Here we fucking go. takes out the gate, MK Ultra gate. Moonrise Kingdom. Right. Kingdom. Wow. Um. I like Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I actually really like it a lot. <laughs> I've I'd only seen it once, and I rewatched it um, this past week. And yeah, I was surprised. And I think this was the last movie I really, really enjoyed from Wes Anderson, even though it's it's very kitschy and twee, <laughs> yeah. and it you know it's pushing it. But I like it. It's you know it's still. I just, I don't know. I th- I guess I'm just partial to the one that just so underpinned with like a deep sadness. Yeah. And like, it, you know, it, there's a lot of people in this movie, but it is a very small group that you're actually following. It's like four or five people. And so they're really strong and the emotional connection to them is stronger. And I understand what they're all going for. And I, I'm interested in what they're all going through. It's also, I think, the last thing I really like Bruce Willis in. Like, <laughs> yeah. the last thing I think I saw him try, and I think he's so fucking, like, just really good and effective, and it's a really small, bad performance he brings in. And the kids are fucking great. Yeah. And that's hard to do, but they're really lovable, and they're really weird and funny, and they're in a very unique way, and they get to sort of play out this make-believe like romance uh, i mean no they're in love but like they, they get married and like you see them they grow they grow together and they start fighting and you see how relationships develop through them and how they're both products of broken you know marriages but them still trying to make it work that's very sweet mm. and i like it i just i i really like it it really it hit me just as hard as it did the First time, and I really enjoy it. I enjoyed it much more than I thought I would again. I, I was like cautiously optimistic. I was like, I thought I was done. Post Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox, I was like, nah, this is kind of it. I, the rest of these aren't great. But MK Ultra, good. Really good. <laughs> a, I, 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 I actually really like it. What, um, you, you go now. You talk. I talk now. <laughs> My turn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw Moonrise Kingdom for the first time when it came out. So I saw it like in cinema. I remember I was living in Philly at the time and I was pretty stoked to go see it. Yeah. And then I think it was like a couple years gap, you know, before I saw it again. Uh, I think I, you know, watched it again with Julia and then we rewatched it obviously for this. And so maybe I've only seen it like three times. So it's not like I watched it a lot, but yeah, it's always like a film that is kind of fun. I think there's some elements to it that are like, they make it a bit weird and mm-hmm. it like uh, I think kind of draws back off of it a little bit, but 
it's one that I like. I want to like a lot, you know, when I'm watching it. You know what I mean? Like That's how I feel about Life Aquatic. Yeah. Like, I want to like this movie. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's it's something about it. Like, I think a little bit it has to do with um, how sort of it, it feels like Wes Anderson uh, kind of crosses, like, borderline crosses a line, particularly at the uh, dance scene on the beach. Where it's like, it's I'll a bit. I'll be literally doing Truth uh, Goddard there. He's literally yeah. doing like Pierre Le Fou and stuff. Yeah, but we're like talking 2012. We're not like weird 1960s, 1950s where, and you're not in France either. So you can't really like kind of push buttons like European cinema can. can and yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's a, so it comes off a bit weird. Like it's almost like, dude, this is like borderline exploitative of these children because you have like two young kids in their underwear uh, standing next to each other. And it's stuff that I know kids do, but we don't need to see it because I think everyone kind of knows that some young kids might explore their sexuality a little bit with another one. Um, mm-hmm. It's just when it gets put into your face a little bit, it's a bit like, yee. Like, you know, kid didn't necessarily, like, I'm, I'm on board up until the point where he, like, has him fill up the little girl and then also like and then she <laughs> says a comment about oh it feels hard it's just like, <laughs> like uh-huh. he really took away from that scene like you made it from what was sort of a bit like okay they're in their underwear whatever this but it's kind of sweet to like being a bit like ah <laughs> a bit strange but I think that comes with the territory with this film that you almost have to talk about that because it is something that got talked about a lot around the time that it came mm-hmm. out. But in uh, mm-hmm. years since, uh, pl- amongst a few other things, uh, which are fun, we could talk about later. But yeah, overall, though, it's a fun film. There's a lot of good performances. Like the kids are great. I would say probably Jared Gilman a little bit more so than Kara Hayward, although she seems to be doing a lot more now. Uh, he's still yeah, kind of yeah. doing stuff here and there. Like I know he's got a film that's coming out that apparently he filmed like four or five years ago or something. It's finally coming out. So yeah, he but he's fun to follow on Twitter. He's a very funny guy. He's always tweeting some really funny shit. And it's always kind of one of those things where I don't understand like what happens, how he's not more <laughs> stuff because he he's puts good, in a really yeah. great role in this film. And he's young and like yeah. did they did they. Uh... I fucking I think it's Patton. Have you seen Patton? Yeah. Jim Jarmusch movie? Yeah, yeah. There's a little reunion. Yeah, They're both two, on the yeah. bus together. Yeah. And that's really cool. And they're suddenly way older. <laughs> yeah. But there's loads of weird connections yeah. like that. Kara Haywood is in this and Lucas Hedges is in this. Yep. And they play a couple in Manchester by, by the, the sea. sea. Yeah. And it's just like, what the fuck? It makes you feel like so old to see kids grow <laughs> yeah. up that fucking quick, you know? Yeah, Even though yeah. you're because I've stayed still, man. You know, I look the same. I feel the same. You know, I've yeah. done my growing, unfortunately. Yeah. I was already like <laughs> fucking well into being an adult, like in 2012. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a fun little film, though. I mean, like, I think like uh, Bruce Willis, like you said, does a great job. Edward Norton stills the show for me. Like, I think he's amazing oh, yeah? in this film. And, you know, Frances McDormand coming in, she's great. And Bob Balaban just being there, like I said, like on the last yeah, West Anderson you're film, gonna mention him. <laughs> I love Bob Balaban. I think he just kind of makes films so much better. Um, just just being there, he's very fun. He's putting in this sort of like 
I don't know, like a weird, like almost like he could be a contemporary of Steve Zissou. That's what I being thought. A, car- a cartographer just going around talking about like the land and the looks, island. Yeah, the island look, looks like Steve Zissou talking about the weather. A very yeah. interesting sort of thing. And then he randomly just like has an interaction the with the the family when they're all I sort of that. arguing. And it's sort of like, what? Why is he here? I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> Why so is he getting involved? I love it at the framing device. Yeah. And I always like when a character in the movie is narrating. Yeah. I feel there's yeah, something yeah. quite organic about it. But yeah, he's really good. Yeah. It's a good way to get information across as well. Yeah. Like... You know, you can't just have a narrator, but I like him talking to the camera. It feels yeah, definitely. and fun. I mean, the film, it's sort of like this weird little fantasy that sort of you're mostly seeing through the eyes of kids and stuff. And that's why I think it kind of comes off the way it does, which I think, um, well, I don't know, unless it's just Wes Anderson being twee, but just like you, like the use of like social services, just being like Tilda Swinton making her social debut. Services. It's just social services. So that's like, yeah, that's, you know, it's something fun. really simple and innocent about yeah. it. And, and yeah, you have a yeah. nice, you you also have Bill Murray's and Jason Schwartzman. So you have a nice mix of like some people who were there from the, you know, most like you've been around and then in Wes Anderson films and then like a whole crew of new faces, which is really cool mm-hmm. as well. So it's a nice yeah. like mix. I mean, I guess this is sort of like him really, I think, kind of nailing his twee style, his color palette, his like, and it's mm-hmm. everything that you're going to see from here on out, I think, because, like, you know, until he starts to change again. Because, like, I think, like, um, you know. I think he's in a phase now. Yeah, he goes through these phases. And I think every director probably goes through these phases like that. But he's, like, in his phase now where he's figured out his color palette. He's figured out the way he wants to tell his stories. But I agree with you. It's, like, there are a lot of people in this film. But it it's an ensemble, but it doesn't feel like an ensemble. It's, like, yeah. it's the way you know, a normal movie works where it's focused on a very central sort of, you know, cast of characters and story they're trying to tell. But you have all these big names and stuff who could easily lead a film, which in later <laughs> films, it starts to feel like it kind of gets away. Like, and I'm worried about French Dispatch. Like, it, like it's like, yeah. how, like what's going to happen? Because there's so many people. It's almost a joke. Like the poster looks like Sergeant Pepper. Definitely, yeah. It's like any of those people could easily lead the film, and it's like, why, why do you have twenty five of them? You know, like twenty five waste stars, and it's just like Jesus Christ. It's just a wait. Like, give him room to shine. Like, even Bill Murray, like, and he's been in pretty much every Wes Anderson film. Mm. Here, it's like I suddenly noticed fucking Bill Murray again because he had a little more room to breathe and a little yeah. more, more scene. Yeah, definitely. And I thought he would. He's the highlight for me, and he has some of my favorite lines. And again, just fucking sad Bill Murray, <laughs> topless Bill Murray, <laughs> that like with so a bottle good. of fucking whiskey, being like, "I'm gonna go <laughs> cut down a tree." Yeah. Like, just Love comes it. in like looking so out of shape, just like, <sighs> "I'm gonna find a tree to chop down." <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so good. Yeah, a lot of weird little kids as well, which is like a signature Wes Anderson somehow creating like these weird kids that don't make sense that yeah they don't really exist yeah yeah it's so strange but it, they're funny yeah that's the only thing really there's certain elements that make me feel uncomfortable where i'm just kind of like you never really need to do that but <laughs> for the most part it's a fun film i don't really know how to rank it we'll figure it out towards the end but um yeah it's just a rank week spoiler but yeah rank but phil this is the first time, though, 
you know, we have all these people. We have Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray and stuff, and we have all these new people. It's the first time, though, that Owen Wilson's not involved in any aspect of a Wes Anderson project. I know, and you feel it. Yeah, the gaping hole in this movie. He could have been. Wilson. He could have been the pilot guy. You know, like. Oh yeah, just be Ned again, just like yeah, yeah. He could have been. Know. I mean, yeah, I know. Could everybody really get in their world? He could have yeah. been Cotton Ben, you know. Yeah. Uh, but or yeah, I don't know anywhere. He could have been anywhere. Yeah, he could have been the the lead scout master guy, but you know that's yeah. great as Harvey Keitel as well. Just really random. Harvey oh my Keitel god, role. I forgot about Harvey Keitel. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Where's your troop, you son of a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> Such a, such a good shout as well it's like dude you're in charge of all these children and you've like just let them all just fucking flee they're all like yeah gone. like three times <laughs> jesus christ love it yeah yeah always good to see harvey Keitel. yeah well for the first time since rushmore wes anderson set a story around a child in the lead role well, this time he wanted to tell a story from the perspective of characters even younger than that of max fisher and described the idea of the story as a memory of fantasized young love. He says, well, what I wanted to do was recreate that feeling of that memory. The movie is kind of like a fantasy that I think I would have had at it at that age. When you're 11 or 12 years old, you can get so swept up in a book that you start to believe that the fantasy is reality. I think when you have a giant crush when you're in the fifth grade, it becomes your whole world. It's like being underwater. Everything is different. Very good explanation. Yeah. Yeah. That is how the film feels. Yeah, definitely. Because it, it, you, you even have it with like Susie's books and stuff and everything. Like it's all like this yeah. fantasy sort of. And the way you described like them getting married, it's like they're definitely just kind of reliving like or like living out of fantasy. It's not real. They're not really married, but they like they do yeah. love each other. And that's just like that whole encompassing feeling, you know. Yeah, it's not Dwight Manson so much trying to recapture like a memory. It's yeah, trying to replicate a feeling yeah. of childhood. Yeah, yeah. Like, cause it's not real. The way we remember it isn't real, and the way we acted while it happened wasn't real. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's hard to objectively look at it. But he tapped into that sort of fantastical realism, I guess, quite mm-hmm. well. Because everybody else is realistic about it. They're just like, we need to find these kids. They're going to fucking die. <laughs> if we don't find them, there's a storm coming and shit. And they're just like, let us be free. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of the film was influenced by Wes Anderson's childhood. When he was 12 and living in Texas, his parents were separating, obviously leading to Wes's Every obsession movie. with crumbling marriages. Every fucking movie. At least like, you know, PTA is kind of like, you know, gotten over that. It. He's passed it a little bit. He's he figured out a way films. to do it in an in interesting way, I think. Yeah. <laughs> He's still pop in and out of his yeah. stories every now and then. I mean, but, you know, what is inherent vice if yes. not a movie about loss and grief, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could just keep going. <laughs> I got to join again for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was briefly a Boy Scout. And I think he actually he even, was. Like, was in the same troop number. I can't remember what their troop number is now. Like, uh, But he his Boy Scout troop was that number. And he acted in a play about Noah's Ark. And also, like Susie in the film, he came across a book belonging to his father with a similar title of Coping with a Very Troubled Child. And he knew that he was that troubled child. 
<laughs> yeah, I doubt it was one of the other Anderson. Yeah, I wonder. Oh, yeah, because I mean, his brothers. It wasn't PTA. Yeah, and it wasn't Paul West. Yeah, it was West. It was West. And it wasn't Paul W. Sorry, it wasn't Eric Chase either, because you know he's yeah. like he's over there like drawing like you know Ligers Some or picture. something. You know, just <laughs> yeah, he's like the Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, just yeah. trying to eat a touch. I'm just trying to it's imagine a weird world we've created. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine like a young Wes Anderson like being troubled or something like what like what must he like he just seems so he just really into like 60s movies and, yeah like, maybe like, no, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know yeah it's if any to... one of those things the kids did yeah. in the movie he that would have been troubled maybe he did like a uh, squid and the whale maybe yeah <laughs> in the library you know what i mean he seems yeah. like that kind of kid yeah yeah maybe and they and he doesn't understand yeah. what he did went wrong and they're like what the fuck he seems like the kind of kid that would like you know throw a rock through like uh you know to break a glass in a house but like the house already is like in shambles and that's like the last window that hasn't been broken <laughs> yet you know like it seems yeah. like that's the most he would do he seems like he wouldn't be you know that dangerous yeah. <laughs> just imagine a troubled wes anderson <laughs> but i do like your squid in the well so which kid the the library book or the one who the steals, steals a song and says it's his but it's actually pink floyd oh yeah both. i feel like you could do both yeah you <laughs> could do both one grows into the other you know? <laughs> yeah i forgot he does that in that movie yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> we, we were the talking song. about doing That's that yeah, doing side that. Mission. yeah side mission uh, which we're almost done with the arc. So, I mean, when's that side mission going to be? <laughs> I don't know. When we got time. September, after we those two September episodes we just bl- planned out, we'll just chuck one of them out and throw that in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck, dude. We were supposed to, uh, we we're supposed to do something else as well. So we're going to definitely have to rethink those two episodes. Ah. <laughs> uh, all right, anyway, Wes Anderson began the writing process for this film solo, and he struggled through the script for a year, only producing 15 pages. So he asked Roman Coppola, who he worked with on the Darjeeling Limited, and also Roman Coppola jumped in, was helping out with, like he worked on Fantastic Mr. Fox. He also was doing second uh, director on, like, mm-hmm. uh, assistant director and stuff on uh, Life Aquatic. So, yeah, he's been around a little bit now. Well, yeah, he asked him for help. And after Coppola came on board, they knocked out the script in a month. (laughs) (laughs) So you just needed a bit of Coppola. Yeah, I think like literally what I think is a bit of a problem here with this film is that it kind of does feel like he sort of had this sort of idea of it being like this, like, oh, you're in love. It's this fantasy sort of thing. And that's all he really had. And he's obviously only was able to produce like 15 pages. And then he got help from Roman Coppola who comes and helps him like turn this into the story that we have. And it almost kind of feels that way. I mean, it does. There's something, I think there's something for me that I feel like it doesn't all the way click, but I do kind of like the film and I want to like it a lot because it looks, it looks amazing. You know, this film looks incredible. Very twee, obviously. He's figured that color palette out to a max, but like, and the costumes and all that shit. But you know, it's like, uh, there's something I don't know, something doesn't quite click. But 
Mm. It's a, it's fine. It's fine. Um, According to Wes Anderson, the 1965 period setting of Moonrise Kingdom was chosen at random. So for the first time, Phil, you and I can just definitively say when, you know, a film is set. Because a lot of times we're like, it just seems like he's made up his own time period. But this is definitively the 60s. And for no reason other than the 60s were cool. Yeah, I mean, as he, he basically was like, he, like he did come to find a thematic link between the year and the story, but the mid sixties fit the idea of the scouts being the traditional American institution. And, uh, and it also gave Wes Anderson the time to take visual influence from the work of Norman, Norman Rockwell. So that was a big inspiration oh, yeah. for this. Wes Anderson also a lot, watched a lot of films about young love for inspiration, including Weris Hussein's melody from 1971, which he basically said that he considers Moonrise Kingdom to basically be a remake of because it follows two <laughs> young children who go off to pretend they're married or whatever. So it's like, yeah, same sort of idea. He also yeah. was inspired by Ken Loach's Blackjack and Francois Truffaut's Small Change, but he also found inspiration from Truffaut's The 400 Blows. Yeah, very Truffaut. Let's get into the cast, Phil. So the crew... Scheduled a substantial amount of time for casting the Sam and Susie characters. Similar to Rushmore, Anderson expressed apprehension about the process, saying that there's no movie if we don't find the perfect kids. So the auditions took eight months. Can we age down Jason Schwartzman? (laughs) It took eight months and they, they went all around to all these different schools to try to find the perfect Sam and Susie. Uh, and they landed on Jared Gilman as Sam Shikusky. Uh Wes Anderson chose Jared Gilman, finding him immediately funny, thanks to his glasses and his long hair and his voice and his personality at the audition. But Jared Gilman wasn't what Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola envisioned at all for the lead character of Sam. Uh, Coppola said, I remember seeing the screen tests and Jared just stood out. But I remember thinking he had such a different energy than I expected in our lead role because we described him with the corncob pipe and kind of a little bit of a James Dean. And he had this other quality. <laughs> they do a tear like James Dean. Yeah, yeah, they try to with the white T-shirts and all that sort of stuff. So they, they were basically saying I couldn't see it at first. But then, of course, it couldn't have been better. It was just so right for it. But it wasn't really written the way he portrayed it. Or at least in my mind's eye, didn't see someone like Jared in the role, but he's just so one of a kind and it's hard to even imagine until you meet him. Yeah, it's very similar to like when Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson were envisioning a Mick Jagger type character for Max Fisher and Rushmore. And then Jason Schwartzman comes in and knocks it out of the park and basically makes it more of a Dustin Hoffman type. (laughs) Exactly. It's weird though, because it's just like, is that how they think of themselves like at these fucking cool people like obviously they make movies about sort of losers yeah and, you know like and outsiders, and outsiders and, yeah. yeah exactly so like that's kind of who you should be looking for yeah not like uh and that's the point they act like that i mean not so much them but like rushmore he, he acts like a mick jagger type of yeah. flagger, and, yeah. you know but <laughs> yeah sam is more uh homegrown a little more grounded yeah and it, it he is cool yeah he's yeah. just cool because he's himself yeah and he's a fucking really good scout yeah nobody gives him props yeah yeah definitely he just has such a hard life you know like 
Exactly. Yeah. No wonder you want to run away. Because in the original script, the fate of Sam's parents were were explained. Like it was explained that they were hit by mm. a drunk truck driver in their car, I guess, and were killed in a car accident. But they took that out. I think just to kind of pull back a little bit from how sad his sort of story yeah, was going. It might be too much. All you need to know is that he lost his parents in one way or another. And yeah. a big part of his personality. And it's kind of they they handle it well. Like the kid is fucking great in it, Jared Gilman. And he brings such a unique energy. Yeah, the way he looks, the way he talks is great. And they play that thing well. It's like you understand why the other kids don't like him, but he's not like annoying. You like him. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you still understand why he he's just difficult to get along with and he's different. But then at the end, even all the kids turn around. They're like, he's one of us. Why are we like? <laughs> yeah. We just don't like him, him because he's an orphan. You know, it's like. Exactly. Orphan. There will be blood. Yeah. <laughs> orphan. Orphan. Yeah. Well, I think that was just like a weird thing. And that back, back in the day, I kind of liked all those bits that they were sort of playing on, like with social services and stuff. And it's just like, what do you do with a kid like this? And. Like, you know, they, kids who are orphans were always institutionalized sort of picked yeah. on and, yeah, being institutionalized. And it's just like, oh, well, like, Sam's a good candidate for, like, you know, this. What, do, what do they call this? I heard someone, I heard him when someone was stabbed. That was the girl. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call it, like, Stab juvenile refuge. And, and then also it. saying that, like, you know, you'd be a good candidate for electroshock therapy. And it's just like, for fuck's sake. But that's what they did in yeah. the 60s. Fuck, they just yeah. lobotomized people and shocked them and yeah. hope it went away. It was funny, though, because he just ends up getting shocked anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a great joke. That's yeah. a really good joke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he's just a good kid that no one just wants and it's kind of shitty. But it's mm-hmm. like I love the sort of relationship that he forms with uh, with Bruce Willis's character and how he just like, you know, it's like that's all he has. And you see it throughout the film as well, like when he's at the um, at the home with his foster parents and stuff, and he they obviously have all those kids, and he's just yeah, dressed like we like politely decline. Yeah, 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 and they don't want him back. But he's just dressed like all the kids. He's got his little t shirt on, you know, yeah. his, his greaser haircut and his jeans, punching him in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. And they also, you know, he does it again. Like obviously, a scout, he has to wear the scout uniform, but he throws himself in, and he's just dressed like a scout, and he just is the scout. And then later, yeah. he just becomes the little police officer. He's just dressed exactly so like sweet. he's so cute. <laughs> yeah. He's so, just trying to figure himself out. Yeah, Great. I absolutely love like so in in preparation for the film. Like he he Jared Gilman had to study canoeing and cooking over an open fire and you know all this sort of scout you know techniques and stuff. And he was like, I remember him saying uh, that he yeah he had to learn all this stuff. Uh, but another thing he had to do was like watch Clint Eastwood's character and escape from Alcatraz. And I love, <laughs> I love that they had this sort of, it's almost like Shawshank Redemption where his, like his first escape is just like the poster That's on the so wall. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, like the fucking tent. Why didn't he just leave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Anyway, Jared Gilman's great. Uh, go check out our breadcrumbs collective family members, uh, caged in podcast where our pal Petros got to chat with Jared Gilman as part of his Coppola Connection series. So he's he's still in all the Coppola films, and he did an episode of Moonrise Kingdom already, which was great, but he also had a separate conversation with 
Jared Gilman, and it was awesome. And you get to hear a lot about Jared's experiences and working on the film more than what we could talk about. Also, like mm-hmm. little things like how he was taught how to tie a tie by Bill Murray. Um, he had never knew how to tie a tie, and Bill Murray taught him that. So find the link really to that interview in the description box of this out. episode. Um, wherever you're listening to your podcast, the link will be there. So yeah, check that out. Um, we also have Kara Hayward as Susie Bishop. Uh, again, like similar to Jared Gilman's, her first film role, like I think all mm-hmm. the main kids had never really done anything before and they were trying to get, you know, novice actors who mm-hmm. never even auditioned before. So he was just trying to get fresh faces. She was cast because she read from the screenplay and she spoke naturally as if it was real life and stuff. So they just liked the way mm-hmm. she she read lines. I thought she's good at times but like i like her at times but at times i think she comes off a bit like wooden and weird and stiff yeah i think i think they both have moments like that and i think i think maybe that's just you know kidnapping in their first film and you can forgive it here in a west anderson movie yeah because most people (laughs) style like that that's his style is this poorly acted play people come in say things deadpan and walk out yeah yeah so it worked here but yeah she had a few moments she i I think she's really good in it she's really believable and lovable and sweet um and they play off each other really nicely yeah Um, and i just enjoy watching them both interact and she like came off a lot like um the way which i thought was funny because then i read that it was that's the reason why but she came off a lot like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's interpretation of Margot Tenenbaum. Margot, definitely. Margot vibe. Which I think she is probably written a bit stronger than Margot because Margot is not very likable. And like, <laughs> you know, she's likable because the character is kind of classic and, you know, the Royal Tenenbaums is like a great little film. But the way that Margot is written, she's kind of written to be kind of like she's kind of shitty in a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think Susie's got like a stronger sort of like, you know, character the way she's, she's just like a kid. It's just content. like, you know, yeah. just wants to do her own thing. And she's obviously troubled by her parents, you know, having marital issues and she's the oldest. So she's the one that's aware of it. Her little brothers aren't aware of this shit and, you know, yeah, yeah. but um, yeah. So she's kind of watching all that, but like she had seen the Royal Tenenbaums. And she interpreted Susie as having a secretive nature similar to that of Margot Tenenbaum. So, like, that's what she was actually going for. And that's why it comes off that way. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, like these little links between movies. Yeah. yeah, she had that the way she, like, treats her books and stuff. And Yeah. I don't know how they get around with all the shit she's carrying. Yeah, around, like, Jesus food Christ. And all those, <laughs> like, three or four suitcases and, like, <sighs> Jesus. It's like. That's not a good way to go camping. <laughs> yeah. She just brings so much useless shit. It's like <laughs> books and a fucking record player and <laughs> her cat. Um, but yeah. si- similar to like Jared Gilman, she had like, she basically like they had a lot of rehearsals and stuff. And like she was being put through like book reading, like, you know, because <laughs> she has to read a lot in the film. Like most of the actors in the film, she did her own makeup as well. Uh, really? I think most of the people in the film were just doing their own makeup. It was kind of like a like Wes Anderson. I think just likes to keep his sort of like small crews and shit. So 
he just had i mean obviously there's probably some makeup people but you know for certain things but i think just in general it's like you're the kid you're a little kid you just do it how you would do it you know just so that's that's what it would look like after the filming was completed she actually got to keep her little kitten that she has in the film so that's kind of cute really yeah uh we'll get back to like the kitten Kitten. and animals later uh jared gilman got to keep his backpack i think that was used by sam and i think he also got to keep i think like because i'm trying to remember i listened to petro's interview with him and i'm pretty sure he said he got to keep his glasses but he wanted to keep (laughs) some of the other things and they wouldn't let him like i think he wanted to keep his like his scout uniform but he wasn't able to but the scene the infamous scene that I've already kind of talked about with uh, Sam and Susie dancing on the beach. It seems to be based on the painting Jive by Jack uh, Vitriano. And the scene was Uh. intentionally saved until the end of the filming. Um, Wes Anderson wanted to make sure that the two lead characters were comfortable around each other enough to be able to dance on, you know, inhibit it and, you know, be comfortable like, I guess in that situation uh, and the scene was also shot on a closed set. So only Gilman Hayward Anderson and then the camera operator were allowed on the set uh, so that the actors wouldn't get self-conscious. Um, he also intentionally like didn't rehearse them kissing because he wanted that to be <laughs> spontaneous as possible to make it look like it was an actual first kiss and it was apparently for jared gilman so oh so yeah yeah, like it comes off like i I really wish it wouldn't have gone that little extra step like because i kind of like that scene it's like because it's really nice it's a sweet moment and stuff yeah and you could end it with the kiss yeah and you don't need to go that step further i i know what he's doing because i know he's obsessed with his little french films and you know and and I know kids do that, you know. It's yeah. like I'm not stupid. I was 12 once. I know what 12 year olds <laughs> do, but everyone knows, and it's sort of like we don't need to see. It, <laughs> it doesn't always fit in yeah, it. It's a bit much. It with the rest of the movie. Yeah. I don't know what you thought of that situation. If you just um, don't really I don't, care. I don't, I don't really care. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember it being a, a, a conversation when it, the movie came out. Yeah, um, but. Now watching it, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. Um, yeah, I guess you know it's gonna happen. I, so yeah, exactly, and it's not surprised. I remember yeah. it making me feel a bit weird when I first watched yeah. it, but uh, maybe I was closer to the age, so it wasn't that weird. How old, when did this come out? Two thousand twelve. Yeah. So I was. Oh fuck yeah! No, I was like nineteen. Yeah. yeah, it made me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I sure. was I yeah. was like twenty three or something like that, and I definitely remember it being like, ooh, this. But now it doesn't bother me. Now I try, yeah, I try and like you said, throw it to like that's what kids do. Yeah, where it it does stand out in like a West Anderson movie. But I see what he's doing. And <laughs> yeah. he's, he's doing like a very it's a very new wave theme yeah, in the yeah. middle of a West Anderson movie. Yeah, but yeah, I don't mind it. Doesn't like take me out of the movie or anything. But I could see why people are like, that's unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's like I feel like it kind of just ruins the scene, really, because it's just like. It's such a sweet moment, and then it's just like, oh god damn it! <laughs> even if I know it's, it's coming, it's, it's that just like, moment. Oh, for fuck's sake. And I think that's not part of the joke. At that moment, that's not break the fantasy a bit because the yeah. fantasy is you just dancing on the beach yeah. and having a great time. But then the reality is like this awkward thing of like, do I, do we, do I yeah. touch her? 
and then you do it and it's like really awkward yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like your kids like i think i know how to do that sure yeah so yeah it's yeah, really I like the yeah, idea of it. maybe the way it's used yeah. could be better it's that coming of age sort of thing anyway you know but mm. it's like he like literally spelled out like oh they're this is their sexual awakening right here in front of your eyes <laughs> like like the deep, bro. <laughs> yeah well, Susie's parents are Bill Murray and Francis McDormand as Mr. and Mrs. Bishop. It's the sixth film of Bill Murray uh, working with Wes Anderson and the first for Francis McDormand. I think she fits really nice into his world. I mean, she's great. Perfectly. She yeah. fills that so role great. that like Angelica Houston had been filling in previous films. It's just being like a solid fucking actress, uh, given a good role to kind of work with and kind of can run away with it. She's just great. Yeah, I love watching Phantom McDormand. Like, yeah, she does fit the world really well. I didn't realize this the first one. Um, and she played off Bill Murray and Bruce Willis really well. Yeah. And person I wish I knew more about in the movie. Yeah, but yeah. Like, what you, you know, what you get, it, you get a lot from just her interaction with her husband. And, yeah, and I think Bruce Willis. that was part of a, another part of the problem with me with this, like, I'm fine with all the all the adult characters and stuff. And I don't feel like... He, you need to shave any of them away, but I feel like there is a sort of thing with, um, okay. So Mr. And Mrs. Bishop are having marital issues. I feel like that could almost stand alone and you don't really need to add the whole captain sharp, Bruce Willis sort of side to their problems. You know, mm. like I feel like it's fine with them having interactions and maybe knowing each other. Cause it's a small Island or whatever, but it's yeah, just like that, each other. that whole thing of like, Oh, well she's got this fling with, um, captain sharp is sort of like i mean it didn't really it didn't go anywhere for one it just sort of ended and that's fine the way it happened and i'm perfectly fine with the way it happened but i almost feel like you don't you didn't even need to do that like they could have their own marital issues without it being like her wanting to go explore something else and captain sharp it could be strong enough of just being a lonely police officer. Yeah. Establish you know. him as a lonely character yeah. looking for a family. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You could do that. I guess it's just Wes Anderson habit of he has to tie everything together. Yeah. 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 I think he gets, when he makes the movie, he gets a lot of ideas at once and then throw them all together, <laughs> yeah. figure out how he can do. Yeah, definitely. I can do them all together. But that's an interesting thing. I, when I was watching a movie, you know, cause you talk about that scene on the, on the beach and weird because he like takes it a bit too far and makes it weird. But like you have an actual marital affair happening and the way he showed it, it's just them. They never, you never see them yeah, hook up. Just sharing All a they cigarette. do is share a cigarette. Yeah. And that, but that's very like metaphorical if you want mm. to look into it, but that's yeah. a really nice symbolic gesture of what they share. And it's like, it's, it's weird that he can restrain himself there. And then in other places, he like <laughs> yeah. makes it just weird. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I, I guess you don't need it because it doesn't end. Quite. Again, it was one of those things I remember being a bigger deal. Yeah, yeah, me the too. The first time watching yeah. and then rewatching and you're like it's halfway like, through, it's yeah, kind it's, of over. It's over already, yeah. Strange but then they, and it's this thing that's just sort of there, but they have to like move past it in mm. order to uh, find the kid. Yeah. I wonder if that's just sort of like, again, through the children's eyes and because, you know, she stops it because Susie, you know, brings it up. Like, oh, I know what you're doing. And she's not helping anything. Yeah. If you want to leave, fucking leave. Yeah. And it's just, it's sort of like a, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just how Wes Anderson saw like whatever was happening with his parents. Who knows? I don't know. I think it's, yeah. I think if anything, it does make Bruce Willis' arc a bit more dynamic. Something otherwise, nothing really happened to him until Mm -hmm. the end. Yeah. And at least, I understand, you can imagine it like he's a lonely guy 
and the only really thing he had that he enjoyed in his relationship with Frank McDormand, and then that it's taken away, and that forces yeah. him to confront his, you know, his life again. Yeah, and then being, you know, given Sam for a little bit, you realize that oh, this could fill this sort of hole in mm. me, this yeah. thing I need, this connection with another person. Because this kid seems cool. He's weird. I'm weird. You <laughs> can, can dress like me. It'll be fun. Yeah. I love how easy they toupee. make it as well. He just instantly like, what do you say, pal? Just, yeah. yeah. You want to be, um, you want to come live with me? She said, it's okay. It's like, yeah, it wouldn't work that way. I don't know. Maybe in the sixties, yeah. they didn't give a fuck, but it wouldn't work that way. <laughs> they didn't care. Uh, Roman Coppola also drew from elements from his childhood for this film, like giving Mrs. Bishop a bullhorn to communicate throughout <laughs> the house. Cause uh, it was very similar to his mother, Eleanor, <laughs> used to do that. Eleanor Coppola. Oh, my God. Used to scream through the house with a bullhorn at all the children. God, that would drive me fucking crazy. <laughs> Bruce Willis as Captain Sharp. So we've been talking about him as we're going along, so we can kind of quickly go through. Uh, Wes Anderson imagined James Stewart playing the role when he was writing the film, since he was clearly seeing dead people. He... <laughs> you know, knew it was fitting that he'd eventually hire Bruce Willis for the part, thinking that he could be the iconic M. Night again policeman he needed for the role. <laughs> he said, We have this policeman who is lonely and insecure. And yet, when I was thinking about who could play this, I wanted somebody where, as you got to know his personality and see what a sad character he was, you would get that thing that you got. <laughs> That thing that you sort of get with real police. You can tell when somebody's a cop. There was something that's often protected from an actual policeman. And Bruce Willis has that cop authority where even if he's playing something away from what he normally plays, you would never question whether Bruce Willis is a cop. But yeah, Bruce Willis had seen all of Wes Anderson's films. He was interested in collaborating with the director. Uh, It was kind of funny, though, because there's these special like scenes on the Criterion Blu-ray, which there is a Criterion competition this week. So send an email in. You have a better chance of winning. Um, yeah. So in the Criterion Blu-ray, there's like a, there's a scene where like Bill Murray's given a set, like a set tour mm-hmm. and he's just going around sort of the house and stuff that uh, it's like Susie and oh, it was the Bishop's house. And he's just like talking about, like all the characters and stuff. And he's just like, yeah, we got like Frances McDormand. Like, you know, she's uh, that funny lady from Fargo. And, you know, we've got like Bruce Willis, you know, he's like, you know, playing a police officer. He's obviously, you know, been in, you know, Die Hard. Um, I guess he got typecast. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and then he's just like, yeah, and I've been in um, every Wes Anderson movie except for Bottle Rocket. I still haven't seen that one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> mystery's out it's uh he still hasn't seen it that's funny. Uh, yeah so it. it was really funny funny little video um he also said that wes anderson likes to have his like his characters with really short trousers so it's like as if they're like just a walking target to get their ass kicked or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny that's really funny yeah edward norton as scoutmaster randy ward so Wes Anderson was apparently in contact with Edward Norton for years, and he hoped that he would play Scoutmaster Ward, commenting that he was somebody who I thought of as a Scoutmaster. 
Uh, he looks like he's been painted by Norman Rockwell. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. When the movie first shows the scene of Scoutmaster Ward, so we have Edward Norton sitting there re, uh, recording his log on his tape recorder. There's a framed picture of Commander Pierce, uh, which is Harvey Keitel, uh, next to his recorder. And you see him later in the film. He's 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 reading his uh, Indian corn magazine. Yeah. Um, there's like an article with like written by Harvey Keitel and Harvey Keitel is just like not really shown until much later in the film. But he's if you if you watch the film, you see that he's just there. He's just always there, Mm. like in all these little things. And then like he even has like that article inside the Indian Corn magazine where it's like it says like uh, the quote, like, are we men or are we mice (laughs) next to his photo? And that's like a reference to Bad Lieutenant that Kaitel was in, oh. where he asked his son similarly, like, all right, what are you, men or mice? <laughs> like, <laughs> like these fun little references. But like at the end of the film, I don't know if you noticed this, there's uh there's Becky, who's played by Mariana ba- Bassam. She's the woman who was like um uh, she's the phone operator. Like the operator. Yeah, they hook up at the end. Yeah, they have this sort of little thing where she's I love like, that. It's very subtle. I don't you remember don't rem- that the first time. You I don't watched realize the film. it's happening until the end, and then you yeah. realize, oh, they did keep asking about each other, and then her, her fucking picture yeah. suddenly on his desk. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> so yeah, sweet. he replaced he replaced the the picture of Commander Pierce, who I guess he lost all respect <laughs> for after he had to save. Yeah, him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, Edward Norton's great in this. He's really funny. Yeah, and Harvey Keitel is great. He's like you know, first time in a West Anderson film. Yeah, because we were talking about uh, Out of Order, IOD. Isle of Dogs, yeah. IOD. Same. But yeah, Harvey Keitel's yeah really funny as well. Yeah. He did Grand Budapest as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then of course we have Jason Schwartzman as cousin Ben. Cousin Ben. He was a really nice surprise. Again, I forgot he was in it, and then he showed up, and I'm like, oh fuck yeah, Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. And he's really funny. Did you see the short film that they made called Cousin Ben Troop Screening? <laughs> no. Uh, with Jason Schwartzman. Oh, shit. No, I got to watch it now. Also directed by Wes Anderson. Uh, and it was released on Funny or Die to help promote the film. So the whole idea is just like he's got a little, ch- like he's got all, he's like at the camp and he's just like, um, he's taking tickets or selling tickets like to see Moonrise Kingdom. And it's, it's like two minutes long or three minutes long. And it's just like getting all these kids in. They're all like these scouts and stuff. And he's just talking shit to them. It's really funny. And then they, they watch the film and he's like making fun of the projectionists. And there's a couple of kids that come in late. It, t- to be honest, it'd be a perfect thing to show before every film at the cinema. Uh. Like a couple of kids come in late and like he's just like, you know, like, like, no, nah, I mean, you're, you're too late, you know, <laughs> you're gonna ruin the in, movie. You know? we have to you're do that every film. day. Yeah. It was, it was really funny. Like, uh, it just felt like being at the cinema, but uh, there's a funny. fun little thing that happens inside that film. Uh, that little short film when it comes to some snacks. So oh, shit. Phil snack time. Hope it's all right. We know it's not
Carino, I forgot what's happening. <laughs> so, so Phil, inside of uh, there's plenty of things that I could have chosen for for this uh, film because there's you know it's a camp, people are eating hot dogs and all sorts of bullshit. Yeah, but you know Jason Schwartzman's character in the little short film Cousin Ben's True Screening takes a box of candy off a little kid who's basically trying to sneak it into the film and he's like, hey, no outside snacks. And what he steals is a very classic American cinema snack. Milk Dud. Milk Dud. They gotta do Milk Dud. how old school it looks. I like, yeah, I like Milk Dud. Yeah, candy made with chocolate and caramel. It's basically just like the round rebels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're good. They're good. They're a bit too cheery for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it takes a while. Yeah, they're very chewy. It's just all caramel with a bit of chocolate around yeah. it. <laughs> how they're many, pretty good. I like them. How many um, scout badges? Yeah, scout badges. Are you gonna give it? I give it um. Give it three. Just like a, it's a solid, like you know, solid just a three. solid middle of the road three. Yeah. They're okay. like really good, but like you said, they are really chewy and they're gonna get stuck in my teeth. So they, that kind of docks a point. Yeah, they're good with <laughs> they're good with the uh, popcorn. You know, mm-hmm. some solid popcorn, not gang. Yeah, they're good together. I have. What'd you? Get? We're talking, you know, Boy Scout in the hood. We're talking camping. I got <laughs> and funny you mentioned caramel. I have a mallow and marsh salted caramel marshmallow bar. Oh, nice. nice! Looks nice. really good, and it's really soft. Like I'm actually really excited to try it. Just gonna, oh, oh, look at that! It's like stuck to the wrapper. And <laughs> how am I supposed to eat this? Gotta eat the wrapper as well. <laughs> <laughs> like people eat the banana with the fucking peel. Come on, <laughs> come on, get out of here! You're not a monkey. Come on. Come on. Even monkeys don't do that. <laughs> Literally, look, it's like stuck to the, to the wrapper. It's just a solid piece of marshmallow. Yeah. Ooh. Wait, I'm just wow. going to take a little bit off it. Like tofu or something. <laughs> oh, really good, though. I'm going to have to try that sometime. No, it's good. Looks nice. It's delish. Marshmallow camera, you can't many, go wrong. How many? How many scalp badges are you giving this? Oh, need to drink water. How many prepubescent? <laughs> 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 um, a three and a half. Three and a half. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if we've ever had a, a half. It's pretty good. What's the half badge for? It's a bit sticky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's hard to get off. Um, yeah, but good. Really nice. Makes me feel like I'm by the campfire. You know. I feel like both of us have very sticky, like... Yeah, it's going to be a while before we can talk again. (laughs) Kumbaya. (laughs) All right, let's round out the cast here. We have Tilda Swinton's Social Services, her first... Wes Anderson film. Alan Rickman and Jeremy Irons. 
were apparently <laughs> considered for the role and they were, uh, I think, offered the role of social services, but they both turned it down before the role was changed to being a female and it was offered to Tilda Swinton who accepted. So that's, imagine Alan Rickman. I want to see Alan, Alan Rickman, yeah. Because then you have a diehard <laughs> reunion. Yeah. <laughs> I you know didn't what I mean? think of that. That would have been great, yeah. Them just talking to each other on the phone. He's like, oh, oh so. He did it with a German oh. accent. but yeah no she's she's great in the role like very small like it's just what you want from uh, like you know if wes anderson's gonna populate his films with all these fucking people just like keep them short and sweet and actually you know like you know you know offer something to the story instead of i i'm from what i remember of I could be completely wrong. The Grand Budapest is You're like a, right. some of these characters derailed the story a little bit. Yeah. Because there's just, just too much of it. Could it keep feeling like, you know, we're going off? You go, you're sidelining the story just to introduce this yeah. person, this person, just to do yeah. cameos. Which is not what happens with Tilda Swinton. She, like, very much is important and integral to the story and the outcome of Sam. Yeah. You know, so it, it works. I mean, you could easily take her out and it wouldn't matter to the story but yeah. at the same time you know it's some real life sort of stakes of you know a boy who is going to be put into foster care or into the system which is you know adds to the sadness of sam's character yeah and yeah. given the actual stake yeah definitely we we there's tons of kids in this film and i could go through them all but i don't want to be here all day but one <laughs> in particular lucas hedges plays redford yeah the one who gets stabbed <laughs> yeah yeah and he's like sam's biggest enemy yeah i mean i don't know he's of all the kids the most famous one you know yeah um, now <laughs> now so uh he's been tons of shit and he's great great in mid 90s holy um, shit yeah I love but him yeah he he auditioned for the role of sam but and it was only like his second film role but he apparently wasn't right for the role which is funny because i think if you want the cool kid he would have been. I felt like Lucas Hedges would have played it, but Definitely. it's interesting that they went for sort of the out, outsider, and Lucas Hedges is the cool kid who <laughs> is his enemy. But whatever, he did impress Wes Anderson a lot, so Wes Anderson still wanted to give him a major role in the film, so that's why he cast him as Redford. Instead. And he's great, yeah. But he's great, yeah. And of course, we do have Bob Balaban as the narrator, which we've already talked about. He's awesome. Did he stick around? Or did this like a one and done with? Yeah, I think he is in. Uh, well, he's in Isle of Dogs, and I believe. Oh yeah, he might yeah, do we did mention. Sorry, IOD. Yeah, I, I believe he might be in Grand Budapest as well. I can't remember, but I, he's. I think he's gonna be in French Dispatch. So. Oh okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, in the film, Susie packs a uh, six fictitious storybooks she stole from the public library. Which I remember that it becomes a big argument they have, which is very strange and funny. Really weird, yeah. Um, but uh, six artists were commissioned to create the jacket covers for the books, one of which was, of course, Eric Chase Anderson. Of course, yeah. Who also appears in the film as uh, Commander Pierce's secretary. Uh, and another one was done by Wes Anderson's girlfriend, Juman Malouf, who... He is still with to this day, but he had only met her, I think, around the time he was doing Fantastic Mr. Fox. And FMF, uh, she yeah. was, yeah, FMF. She, she was, was like one a, of the puppets. An extra. Yeah. 
And I think she worked maybe in the art department. I'm not really sure. But she did some voice acting for the for FMF as well. Um, So, yeah, this film is actually dedicated to her at the end of the film. Wow, someone fucking came. Jesus Christ. Relax, Wes. This is my this is how I feel when I first met you. Um, it's my, it's my love story, you know, basically I, you make I me got feel like a child. Like, I got, yeah. <laughs> Can I cup a feel real quick? <laughs> uh, Wes Anderson wrote passages for each of these books and Susie is shown reading aloud from three of the books during the film. Uh, Wes Anderson actually did inc- uh, consider incorporating animation for the reading scenes. Too much. But he chose to show her reading the, uh, you know, stories alone with all the other characters, you know, listening. Go on, we're listening. Sam just listening. (laughs) Yeah, or all the kids, which is kind of cool. It it made it, like, for me, it felt like Peter Pan, you know, like when Wendy saw the stories from Lost Boys. Like, that's just what it felt like. Yeah. So that was kind of cool because I love Peter Pan. But he did decide to animate the segments of all six books, like these segments and uh, use them for a promotional video. And Bob Balaban introduced each section and sort of like talk through it and stuff. And that is, I think an extra on the DVD. So you can't get that anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It's a little too much. It would have been too much when they were scouting locations for moonrise kingdom. Wes Anderson actually used Google earth to locate like where <laughs> How he about wanted the film to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So instead of sending scouts out, he's just like looking around on Google Earth. It's pretty funny. He basically was looking at places like in Michigan, New England, Canada. Uh, They also looked at the Thousand Islands on the border of New York and Canada and Cumberland Island in Georgia. But they eventually settled on Rhode Island. Mm. We have Cassio Walika uh, Mayamone, who was the costume designer. I probably said that name wrong. Uh, but Wes Anderson presented her with concepts of how the characters would look, and she drew on the photographs from 1960s and the uniforms for from the Boy Scouts when she designed like Susie and Sam's costumes. So like they're very reminiscent of old, obviously Boy Scouts, but <laughs> Susie's costume I think is even meant to be sort of like the way the Girl Scouts uniforms used to look back in the day. Oh, fun! And they actually planned to model the animal costumes from. You know, the no, no, noise fluid production, basically, they wanted to have like those costumes look like they do in noise flood, because obviously the whole sort of story is this weird Noah's flood sort of yeah, yeah. thing going through it anyway. Um, but they decided to just fashion them for if they were like from a, a real American school from back in the day. So, of course. Yeah. yeah so oh. he, he decided to look back in photographs from when he was in. Noah's flood like in school and just drew on those costume ideas and stuff. That's funny. <laughs> what kind of bird are you? <laughs> She's a, it's like, no, not you. not you. What kind of bird are you? I love that. Cause it felt like that joke in Kingpin with Bill Murray trying yeah. to hit on that girl. He like wrote, he rolled up to a table full of gold and he's like, Hey, not you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. All right, what about the music? Let's get into the music. Music. Obviously, we have Alexandre Desplat back again, composing the original score. But I didn't know this until I was watching the film and I saw this in the credits, but Mark Mothersbaugh is actually partially back 
and he what? contributed it to some percussion compositions for this film for the soundtrack but it's mostly Des Platt Des Platt um, yeah I mean it's again it's like you know quirky chewy music yeah it's fine, fine. it's fine um, I, nothing really stood out in terms of music in this one that mm. I can remember anyway it's all very fitting and appropriate um, yeah but it's no like fucking needle drops that like make me cry or anything yeah i mean when stuff. you get into the the actual soundtrack i mean it heavily features music from english composer benjamin Britten, who basically did noise flood basically noise <laughs> flood that was his thing so it has a lot of music from that it has music from simple symphony uh, symphony it has uh, music from a midsummer night's dream and it also has two pieces from Friday Afternoons, which um, one of them's Cuckoo. Like, you know, the song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Cuckoo. That's really cool sounding. That's a good sound. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he sort of sacrificed a lot of the songs and stuff that you could imagine him doing from the 60s and stuff to just like having a lot of pieces from like uh, Benjamin Britten. Which I'm assuming must have been something that he was really in love with as a kid, because like it's just all the way throughout this fucking film. <laughs> it just like, never ends. Yeah. Well, even if like because the final, the final film credits, like if you have it on long enough, you hear it get to a point where it starts like so. Basically, throughout the film, the little kids are listening to Benjamin Britten's Young Person's Guide, which is like yeah, talk it, it guides them through like his music and the instrumental sections and a little child's voice is introducing each part. They do the same thing with like Alexander uh, Desplat. Like it, they just do a thing where this is, this is the music of Alexander Desplat. <laughs> this is the string section. So they, it's kind of cool, but like, yeah. it's like, it's all the way at the end. So it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's not like a part of the movie. Yeah. We get a couple of needle drops and we get like Francois Hardy's they attempt de la mort, which is like playing on the beach. Just mm-hmm. a cool little 60s song. Yeah. And then, particularly with the sad cowboy character that is uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis's character, <laughs> you get a lot of Hank Williams that accompanies Hank him. Hank Williams on the Baptist Bay. That's perfect so, for him. Yeah, we get Long Gone, Lonesome Blues. We get Ramblin' Man. Man. And uh, the biggest one is called Elijah. It's just playing throughout this entire <laughs> film. Which is slightly dodgy, but I guess it was 2012, so I guess no one gave a shit back then. <laughs> Things were different. Now you can't say anything. <laughs> Fucking PC <laughs> gone mad, cancel culture, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. College is pretty funny. College! <laughs> <laughs> it's like talking about a cigar store Indian or something, being in love with like another cigar store Indian. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> it's a very weird song. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um... Principal photography took place in Rhode Island from April to June 2011. The film was shot at various locations around uh, Narragansett Bay, Rhode Island, including Connecticut Islands, Prudence Islands, uh, Fort Weatherhill. We had Trinity Church and Newport's Ballot Park. The scout camp set was uh, dressed with props borrowed from Camp Yalgoog 
which is a real scout camp in Rhode Island, which I think they also sort of shot on and around for the scout <laughs> scenes or Fort Lebanon, maybe. Yeah, so that basically was served as the primary inspiration for the look of the sets as well. Uh, cinematographer Robert Yeaman said that uh, he, he shot the film on super 16 millimeter film and he used these Aton Xterra and A Minima cameras. And they're, I think, really small, like short, <laughs> shorter cameras. So it was like perfect for shooting the kids because they're basically like the same the height as, yeah. <laughs> as the camera set up. Uh, so yeah, it was probably a backbreaking work. Just bent over. Like, <laughs> 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 During filming, Wes Anderson rented this old mansion in Newport, Rhode Island for him and editor Andrew uh, Weissbloom and then also for Robert Yeaman to hang out in and they basically had a room set up for editing the film and it was arranged that the cast would stay at a nearby hotel called the Vanderbilt Grace but eventually a lot of the cast members just ended up moving Moving to the mansion as well so like Edward Norton was living there Jason Schwartzman was living there (laughs) (laughs) drinking Coca-Cola past Uh, (laughs) 2am what Um, but yeah, Bill Murray like joked about it and basically said that the theory was to have everyone close by so that they could work ungodly art movie hours. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bill Murray. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom premiered on May the 16th of 2012 as the opening film at the 2012 Cannes Film Festival. And it was the first time a Wes Anderson film had uh, premiered at Cannes. It was uh, released the same day in French cinemas, and it opened in the U.S. on May 25th. In its opening weekend, Mirai's Kingdom earned $523,006 in four theaters, setting a record for the greatest gross per theater average for a live-action film. It basically just, like, smashed that record. Uh, after 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox underperformed, uh, Anderson said that he had pitch Moonrise Kingdom with a smaller budget than he would have otherwise requested. And the budget was $16 million. And his producers, Stephen Rells and Scott Rudin, agreed to back the project. So he was just like, we're going to just go real cheap, guys. I'm just going to make this shit. And by September, it grossed $43.7 million, doubling that of uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And Moonrise Kingdom finished its theatrical run with a gross of $45,512,466 in the U.S. and Canada and a further $22,750,700 in international markets for a worldwide total of $68 million. Nice. $263,166. Yeah. Good. Better than FMF. Yeah. Better than FMF. It was one of his biggest grossings. Yet, you know, um, I think the only thing that beat that was to this point was the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Uh, then the next next one would smash it. So (laughs) it's not doing bad. Um, Uh, Moonrise did all right. I guess Wes Anderson's more bankable, like of a mainstream audience than our boy Paul Thomas Anderson, who's making better films. So it's interesting. (laughs) You said it. You said it, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, critically, it was well received, ended up in a lot of end of year lists. And in 2016, it was voted 95th in a uh, international critics poll 
for the BBC's culture's like 100 greatest films of the 21st century. Wow. Uh, number three on that list is It'll Be Blood. There we go. And number Perfect one on that list is No Country. David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. No, it isn't. Yeah, it is. Really? It was a big thing. I remember when that happened in 2016. It was around the same time we were like going to put Mulholland Drive on sale. And it was just like, holy shit. I think it was like 15th anniversary as well. I did not think um, they would yeah, uh, and it was just like a, a movie big, like that. Holy shit. Yeah. Pretty right. crazy. So yeah, Mulholland Drive. Well, I got to watch it then. Yeah. We'll do that one day, maybe. September. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like it's... Uh, it's crazy. Like, there's a lot of Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson films on there. Like, The Master did rank pretty high. Like, Good. not. I don't know if it was in the top ten. Not high um, enough. Whatever it wasn't high enough. <laughs> there was. <laughs> it was pretty high. Uh, <laughs> Inherent Vice was on the list as well. Um, really? So yeah, there's. I, I believe Boogie Nights was on the list. So there was like quite a few. Um, oh, sorry, it was Boogie Nights. No, because that's naive. No. Magnolia. Magnolia, maybe. Are there any yeah. other West movies? I believe Budapest was on there pretty high as well. Because they, f- I don't know, everyone loves Budapest. A uh, Real Tenenbaums was on the list as well. So yeah, he had a few. They each had, I think, roughly the same amount. So it's kind of interesting. It's always the same with these two boys, Anderson oh, and Anderson. You know even, who didn't have one on that missed. list? Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> oh, is that what you meant about that's what we need to do after this arc is over? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. But yeah, there was a lot of controversy, like I said, over the dance scene. Mm-hmm. People just thinking the sexual awakening of uh, Sam and Susie just went a bit too far. You know, it's a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was also another bit of controversy that was brewed up from this film. And it ties in nicely with uh, us charting the Peanuts references throughout these West Sanders. I, I called the Peanuts reference, but I think it's because it's yeah. the most obvious one. It's the most obvious one. There's the dog named Snoopy. It's literally, yeah, called Snoopy. Who gets killed by an arrow. He killed Snoopy. He killed Snoopy. And killing his and... chance of ever making a Peanuts movie. <laughs> yeah. We it also we sparked did. a big debate of does Wes Anderson hate dogs? Yeah, could have ran over one in Royal Tenenbaum. Yeah. Royal Tenenbaums. You can even go back to the Bottle Rocket. They like Anthony oh, yeah. has this dog, right? And they sort of just like leave the dog. Like he has this dog with him. He's out running. Dignan picks him up and stuff, and he goes off on it. And then what happens to the dog? It seems like he just kind of like he's in a car, and then he's just gone. It's like he just left the dog. Not right. But again, I don't know why PTA. I'm a PTA. I'm an Anderson guy. You know, you're an, I'm an because, Anderson. Yeah, could yeah. Wes Anderson just treat the dogs like shit? Maybe he made Isle yeah. of Dogs just to make up for that. He obviously doesn't he hate did. dogs. Actually, they're all fake dogs. But he also um, like the dog died. There was another dog that died. Very, I mean, you know, an Isle of Dogs. But they could have all just, died, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but there was that one dog though that definitely died. That, yeah, and it was yeah, just like. Sure. And it was set it up as like this emotional pull and then he faked you out and stuff. So he's still just like, fuck your dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another one, dude, Life Aquatic. They leave Cody behind. Oh, yeah. What's his name? He hates Cody. dogs. <laughs> he, he fucking does. Confirmed on the uh, podcast. He's okay with cats, though. 
it's yeah he he's okay with cats that cat fucking lived in it it seemed like it was having a great time on set being yeah. rubbed and biting little kids hands and stuff very cute Love it. and I, I i think that's why i'm an anderson guy Fuck. <laughs> 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 all right everybody uh we're wrapping up here of course it is a rank em week rank em. time to rank them Time to rank. All right, Phil. We heard our seventh film for each director. Last week was Inherent Vice. This week, Moonrise Kingdom. Favorite seventh film. You said that it was going to be hard. I thought it was a sure thing for you, but you liked this film a lot more than I thought you would. I do really like Moonrise Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Do I give it to West? just for the fun of it because i've only done it once yeah i mean you you're know? sitting at one in five at the moment so, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh god i don't think i could do it i think i mm, mm, <laughs> mm, which one are you going with as weird as inherent vices and stuff and it's like it's like i'm unsure about it just I don't know. Maybe it just feels like a cooler vibe. So I was going to go with Inherent Vice this week, which means PTA surpasses Wes Anderson. <laughs> and it's now for me, three for Wes, four for PTA. Damn. I know. But it is kind of hard because this film's kind of fun. And I also do. like Inherent Vice is kind of weird, but it's also fun. I do like Inherent Vice. I mean, I have the poster mm. above me. No. I thought this was a sure thing, and I already wrote in that you would definitely go in here and buy be one in six. <laughs> it's it's a harder choice, genuinely, because I did yeah. I did really have a good time in my kingdom. But yeah, I think I'll have to go with in here by. And it's not. Cool. It's, I don't think it's going to change. The next one for sure. Uh, it's a sure thing. All right. So both inherent vice, you're now one in six. One for West. <laughs> Only six one for time. PTA. Yeah. One time. But this was the closest. This was the closest he came to taking it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Let's just get into the individual rankings for each director. So for Wes Anderson, I'm still at the top of my list. The Darjeeling Limited. I have the, followed by the Life Aquatic. Followed by Bottle Rocket. Followed by Isle of Dogs, followed by the Royal Tenenbaums, and then still going to be Rushmore, and then Moonrise Kingdom. So that doesn't mean you anything. You put Moonrise at I, the bottom. What about FMF? Well, FMF's at the very bottom. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean anything because, like I said when we did our rankings the last time, that like Rushmore being that far down, like isn't you know anything against Rushmore because I I fucking love Rushmore. But I, I think I like it more than I like Moonrise Kingdom. But I also really like Moonrise Kingdom well enough. Mm. But it's just not like it's not near the top. And it's pretty low on the yeah. list. Um, but we'll see what happens next time. You know, but you, you currently had the Darjeeling Limited, the Royal Tenenbaums, Bottle Rocket, Isle of Dogs, Rushmore, The Life Aquatic, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. So I put Where Moon, are you putting Moonrise? I put Moonrise almost right in the middle. I put it between Bottle Rocket and Out of Dogs. All right. Cool. It did all right with me. Cool. All right. 
So now, Paul Thomas Anderson. For me, there will be blood still at the top, followed by Punch Drunk Love, followed by The Master. <laughs> so those are still the top three. And then we're going to stick with Magnolia 4. Inherent Vice kind of feels like a middle of the pack for me. I like it a lot, but it's really fucking weird. So it's coming in underneath Magnolia, followed by Boogie Nights, followed by Heart 8 at the very bottom. All right. What about you? I got... Because you were still in order. I'm still in order. And that's, from the um, last time. That will change now. But... Yeah. And it will change again. And it's, uh, you know, and I do really like Inherent Vice, but it's going to go near the bottom of my list. I think I'm going to squeeze it between Boogie and Hard Eight. Oh, wow. So you like Boogie Nights more than Inherent Vice. Yeah. All right. So you're the master, followed by There Will Be Blood, followed by Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, Inherent Vice, and then Hard Eight. Oh man, you finally just jacked your list up. I jacked up, and <laughs> I think I'm gonna. When we're done, I'm gonna rejig it completely. Yeah. Um. I mean, West Western one is a fucking mess, but <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. At the end, we can do like a final sort of look at it, and uh, we can maybe rejig things if we want. But also, yeah, I don't know. Like I said last week, kind of take a view of like what each director's been doing and like what we kind of want to see from them next and stuff. Yeah. But speaking of which, next week we are at the final two weeks of this arc. Final countdown. Final countdown. We are going to go back to the 1950s. We're stepping 10 years back from where we are now from the 60s. We've been going 70s to 60s to now the 50s as we go back in time to, and fuck, Grand Budapest doesn't feel like it could be set in the 40s. I don't know what does. Uh, So Uh. we're going back in time and we're going to see about a little dressmaker man (laughs) with Paul Thomas Anderson's final feature with, uh, well, in this series, but also final feature with Daniel. Day, day, Lewis, and his day. final film. It's a new day. Uh, yes, it is. Phantom Threat next week on the Potrol Cinecast. So stay tuned for Stick that. Around. Just keep listening. We're so close, Phil. We're almost, we're to almost the, done. We're, we're almost God. done. Are you like ready to be done with this um, arc? Um, yeah, I'm really done. I did enjoy it. I did really enjoy it. And, there, and you're right, there's something to just uh, actually working through someone's filmography. Yeah, she really, yeah. You get an actual really good feel of how they progressed. And, and I like revisiting movies that I haven't in a long time to see how I feel about them now. But it's also been difficult, you know. It's just like, <laughs> it's, it's like, which is better? Um, Anderson or Anderson? Yeah. You go, I can't, can't decide. And the rankings <laughs> are really stressful. You know, I'm going to live and die by these rules and I, I can't yeah. deal with it. Well, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because... We've got some new arcs coming up in the you know next few months where we're totally going to be having to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> no. Actually, you know what? I don't think there will be another director arc like this until like next year. From yeah, what from we what are we looking have. at. Yeah, what we have coming up. So, yeah. 
Anyway, as always, ladies and gentlemen, and you can let us know how you're getting through these wet Anderson versus Anderson films, Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, which one's your favorite? It doesn't matter, but you can let us know. Over at patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast, you can get bonus episodes. You can let us know how you're getting on there if you're a patron, or you can let us know how you're getting on at the PCC podcast Woo. on Twitter and Instagram, or pop us an email podcastprincharlescinema.com we'll read them out because i really we'll do like that. doing um we'll do these that. uh user feedback it's it's fun it's fun having that back in the rotation a little bit um as always you can follow me at tall for all on twitter and instagram phil where can people find you at far away sad on twitter and in real life and other than that you know i'm just lying on the couch staring up at the ceiling hoping the roof flies off and i get sucked into space <laughs> <laughs> man i was totally like sitting there doing that scene just going fucking vibes man Bill yeah, Murray vibes. Vibes, man. <laughs> mood. big mood yeah because the other the, like i watched that on uh for monday night and i was sitting there like earlier monday and hastings looking at the sea and like i like i was telling you i was sitting on that wall and the yeah. sea level was really high and at one point i was just like i just kind of want to jump in and just, like, just be washed away. away fuck it who cares <laughs> <laughs> they right. will never know well, how you're feeling you need to finish the ends tonight <laughs> yeah. we're just gonna die before we can do grand budapest great yeah. right <laughs> Like everybody's just like, eh, shit, and then they just turn it off, and it's just like the end of Truman Show. You know, it's just like, all right, what else is done? Pick up a book. Yeah, <laughs> what else Ooh, is on? book? <laughs> I forgot about uh, books. Uh, all right, see you guys next week. Next week we're gonna we've got dresses and shit. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, or not? I don't know. Snack time is just gonna be us, like trying to make a dress whoever can sew a dress quicker wins okay yeah i'm gonna buy a sewing machine from charity shop that's gonna be loud as shit (laughs) so yeah come back for that (laughs) bye guys bye this podcast is presented by the breadcrumbs collective home of the pod charles cinecast caged in coppola connections a drip town limery main franchise and many more to come Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.